As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... Well, let's be honest, it's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth, never has. I thought for sure that Angel had come to the wrong house with his announcement. But if that's what God wanted, well, who was I to tell him he was wrong? Joseph, well, God bless that wonderful man. He could have joined in with everybody else. He could have had me sent away. He could have even had me killed. But he just never broke the promise to marry me. And so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with heartburn and bloated cankles and nine months of pregnancy behind me. <laughs> you know those women who try different things to induce labor, like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods? What they should do is go on a bumpy 70-mile trip to Bethlehem. Because not long after I got there, and I'd never done this myself, but even I knew it was time. <laughs> and with every wave of pain, I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me and that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home. But when Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him with the only thing I had, which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. There he was. The one the angel had told me about. I couldn't even find words big enough to express it. I know I'm not the first young mother to bring a child into this world. It's always been that way. But as I look down at my son... <laughs> my Redeemer. He would change everything because he'd already changed me. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Can you imagine waiting all your life for the Messiah to come, to arrive, for your Savior to appear? Both you and your entire family believing that he's going to come soon, surely in your lifetime, not only to, to take your sins away, but also to relieve the pressure and, and the burden of a, an imposing government, the Roman government. And then you get a visit from an angel who tells you that you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you're going to call that son Jesus. Now consider with me for a second the totality of what that meant in that culture. A young girl, 14 to 15 years old, not married, who's about to be pregnant, yet still a virgin, and told that she will be the mother of God's son, the Messiah. And that he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And then, just kick this in, you're a young 14, 15-year-old girl who's from the wrong side of the tracks that nobody likes to begin with. My goodness, think of the social implications. Think of the moral implications. Think of the religious implications of that day of what this young girl was going through and what was going through her mind. What a big pill for a 14-year-old teenager to swallow. What would you do? What would I do if that would happen to me? We read about it and we hear about it and it's a wonderful thing, but put it in your lap. How would you handle that? Would you recognize it as a miracle from God or would you call it madness? Would you really feel like you're blessed among women? Be honest now. But think about her response and look at her response how can this be since I'm a virgin and the angel Gabriel applies to her? God will be the father of your child 
The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. And then comes, church, listen, dear ones, then comes what I think to be one of the biggest faith statements in the Bible. I think it should be in Hebrews 11, in, in the hall, in, 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 in the book of faith there, in the chapter of faith. And, and, and the big faith statement, listen to what she says. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Wow. What would our response honestly be? It would probably be something like, my goodness, what is that medicine I've been taking? What, did you, did you uh, uh, put a, a spike something in my drink? What's going on here? I'm having, I must have had a mild pen stroke or something. Because this God came to me and told me that I'm going to father the, the, or I'm going to bring in his son. And, I'm gonna, and that goes for men and ladies, both of you. What would be your response to that? Would we do, as she said... I am your servant, Lord. As you have said unto me, let that be. In her innocence, in her trust, in the security of a childlike faith. Hear me again. The security of a childlike faith. She had accepted and surrendered to the word of God for her life. Now my question to you today is this. How long have you been waiting for something from God in your life, maybe salvation of children, maybe parents or friends, maybe you've been in bondage for a long time to something in your life, maybe anger has overtaken you, unforgiveness, doubt, whatever, you need a miracle in your job, you need a miracle in your finances and relationships, and you've been waiting for a long time for God to speak and to move in your life. Maybe, listen church, maybe, just maybe, dear ones, listen, just maybe God is waiting for our hearts, for your heart to be more like Mary's, more pure, more innocent, more open, more willing as hers, more accepting of his sovereign plan. I am your servant and thy will be done in my life. And maybe he's waiting on that. As we continue this first Christmas journey and look closer at these characters and look at Mary today, God's vessel to bring his son into the world, I want to draw lessons from her life and from this passage. And the first one that I see here is that a place of innocence, that her innocence, her childlike faith that we just talked about, is a place for miracles to happen in her life and in your life. That a place of innocence sets the tone for miracles. She was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, don't be afraid. You found favor. And she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's not doubting. She's not in unbelief. She's just saying, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I can imagine a 14-year-old kid saying, hold on. You're telling me I'm going to have a child and this child will be this, the Messiah but I'm a virgin. How, how is this going to happen? And then when he told her, she received. Now, compare her response to Zachariah's. Remember when we went through Elizabeth a couple of Sundays ago? Remember Zachariah and Elizabeth in their old age? And the angel comes to Zachariah and says, You're gonna, you and, and, and your wife are going to have a child in your old age. Listen to his response just a few verses before. He tells the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In verse 20, listen to what the angel says. 
Now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens. Speaking of John the Baptist, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their proper time. You see, God saw the difference between Mary's innocence and childlike faith, her willingness, and a little doubting and unbelief from Zechariah, where he said, hold on, give me some proof, show me some proof here, and then I'll believe you. And so the angel said, you're not going to speak until John is born. But in Mary's case, God saw the innocence, the purity of heart. I believe, I believe, church, that that's why Jesus said, bring unto me the little children. Bring me the little children because of their childlike faith, because of their purity of heart, because of their innocence, the same characteristics that Mary had. Now, listen to our question today. This is the question that Mary poses to all of us. How often have we responded to God with that same childlike innocence or questioned in unbelief as Zechariah did? Childlike innocence. Remember this. Childlike innocence believes because it trusts blindly. It follows and trusts blindly because it trusts in the person that it is trusting in. Now, that's a scary thought, but it's so rewarding. I think, secondly, that from Mary we can draw this, that a place of willingness, willingness and openness is a place for miracles. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, she says. She was wide open to everything and anything that God had for her. She was willing to bear whatever those implications would be to her reputation, to her comfort, to her plans, to her entire future, to her social place in society. Now listen, dear ones, I believe that God is still looking for that kind of willingness and openness so he can move through us and move in us in a powerful way. Have you ever heard the expression, I'm willing, count me in? I got a text this week from one of my pastor friends. And it was in, involving the pulpit swap that's coming up in January. And he said, I need to know those of you who want to take part in this. And, and I texted him right back. I said, count me in. Have you ever said that to someone? I'm willing, count me in. Have you ever said that in your life? Now, when you say that, what is the implications of that? I'm willing, count me in. You just took the Nestle plunge, is that correct? You just said, right, I'm in, right? Remember, you know, commercial, anyone remember the Nestle plunge? Well, what, what, what's happening is you just said, I'm in, I'm in. For better or for worse, I'm in. And Mary said that. She reached the point where she said, count me in, I'm in. I am your servant, count me in. And that should be our attitude you know that should be if, if you know branding with companies and even churches have what they call a brand you try to brand which is their motto and what they stand for and who they are well that should be Mary's brand okay it should be Mary's brand I'm willing count me in but it should be your brand it should be my brand as a Christian and follower of Christ I'm willing count me in I remember having to surrender to the call of the ministry on the railroad, making big bucks. It wasn't could you buy it, it was what color did you want. 
I remember having to surrender to the call of God saying, I want you to give that up and I want you to go in this direction. A completely different life, a completely different lifestyle with all that that means. And I had to reach a point where I surrendered to that and finally said in my life, I'm willing, count me in. How many of you are familiar with what Isaiah said? Here I am, Lord, send me. How about, I can do no other. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm willing, count me in. Lastly, I believe we can learn from Mary that a place of faith is a place for miracles. Y'all know what Romans 10, 17 says. How many of you old-time Christians in here know what Romans 10, 17? Come on, raise your hand. You're going to get a, a washer or a dryer behind a door right here in the stage. Come on. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith come by hearing, and hearing the word of God. You see, Mary had a word from God. She had a visitation from God. And the angel Gabriel spoke to her. How many of you have picked up his written word? The Logos have had this word that comes alive to you. Or someone who comes to you in a prophetic voice and speaks to you and gives you a word from God. You know, my first pastor, Brother Francis, always said that when things get tough and when the going gets rough, and in ministry, that's about every four hours. And he said that when that happens in your ministry, he said, you better have a word from God that you can fall back on or you'll quit in the first week. Now, that applies to you in your life also, in your job, with your family, in all of your relationships with those cantankerous in-laws, outlaws, everybody else who's that. You have to have a word from God and say, no, God has spoken and count me in. I'm willing and here I stand. I can do no other. So a place of faith is a place for miracles. Have you ever believed a word from God? And then in complete awe, watch that word from God come to pass right before your very eyes. I have received a word from God and watched that word a number of times in my life, watched it come to pass. One of those words is sitting right over there in that pew. His name is Caleb. Another one of those words you're sitting in right here, saw it in dreams and visions right here in this church. Come on, have you ever had that in your life? Because if you haven't, you need to seek it in your life. You need to ask God and say, Lord, give me that in my life because that's what keeps us going as Christians. That's what feeds us and empowers us to keep going as Christians. And Mary had that faith in that word from God, and it kept her going. It's a good place to be. We have one innocent, willing, believing young girl who was used to change the entire world. To bring God to earth, to bring God to earth, the kenosis passage in Philippians 2. God becomes man, all God, all man. God incarnate to save mankind. And listen to me, church. He can still use moms. He can still use dads. He can still use single people. He can still use young people. He can still use old people to bring his son to those who need him. This Christmas, so this can be their 
first Christmas. It was a night like any other night, except for that angel. Ain't seen nothing like it before or since. Us shepherds, we don't get a lot of excitement out there on the pasture. But that angel, it was so bright, so beautiful. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sam, you've been out in that pasture just a little bit too long. And you'd be correct. But that all changed when that angel came right up to us. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I was like, too late. And then the angel said, no, I wrote it down. I need to get this right. Hold on. Um, okay. The angel said, um, milk, bread. No, that's my grocery list. Then the angel said, I have good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then the angel said, he's lying in a manger wrapped in cloth. Go find him. Okie dokie. So we're all sitting around, and then one of the shepherds, I think it was Steve, he's like, hey, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. Let's go to Bethlehem. So we hightailed it out of there, and we found that beautiful baby. I'll tell you, I was a different man after that. God chose me. Nobody's ever chosen me for anything. I'll never forget what that angel said, though. The angel said, I bring good news to all people. That means you, too. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census to take place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lay, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off 
and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here we see God revealing his eternal plan of salvation through the birth of his only begotten son to someone who is in a very low social station of life. Shepherds, someone that wasn't highly respected at that time, not looked upon with great respect and esteem. You see, in that day, shepherds usually became shepherds either because their parents were shepherds and they just followed what their parents did or because they had nothing else that they could do. And so they hired on as a shepherd. It was a dirty, stinky, dangerous job probably the most unthought-of place for God to reveal the birth of his son and then to ask that same person, a shepherd, to come and witness his arrival and to worship his son and then to go and to tell the whole world about the birth of his son. A shepherd. Now, we think of shepherds as some glorious thing and in, in the manger scene and you have the little shepherds and we see movies in there and there are nice books that are written on shepherds and everything. But the reality in the culture of that day and even today, a shepherd smells like sheep. A shepherd gets dirty. A shepherd gets attacked by wolves and lions and bears in that day. A shepherd is someone who works hard, who sleeps outside and cares for dirty, stinky animals. Isn't it just like God to choose someone who no one would choose, no one would think to go and to reveal his son to and to go and worship his son, not the upper crust, not the religious folk. Isn't that just like God? Yep, yeah, it sure is. He, he seems to do that quite a bit, doesn't he? And honestly, church, I love it. I love it. You see, think about it. Think about it with me. David, King David, another shepherd. Joseph, the runt of the litter that they didn't like. Rahab, the harlot. Thomas, the doubter. Matthew, <coughs> the hated tax collector. Peter, the sardine man. Think about it. Worked on a pogey boat. John, Mr. Crying and Mr. Emotion. And the list goes on and on and on. Why did God choose a shepherd? Why do you think that he chose a shepherd? I think it's because God identifies with shepherds. Because he sees us <coughs> as his sheep. And we need a shepherd, someone to protect us, someone to feed us, someone to guide us, someone to be there for us. Look at Psalm 23. Who is our shepherd? The Lord 
is my shepherd. I shall not want, and on and on and on. It's the shepherd's psalm. I think that he sees us as sheep and us needing a shepherd. <coughs> I also think he knew that these particular men had natural ability and courage <coughs> to go and to tell other people about his son's birth. You see, they do have to be men of courage to protect their sheep. And these men left the manger shouting the good news to the whole world. And what can we learn from a simple shepherd? What is our lesson from a shepherd? First, I believe that God desires everyone's worship, whatever your station in life. God desires everyone's worship, no matter where you are in this life. The poorest to the richest, the nicest to the ugliest, the pretty ones, the not too pretty ones, the ones who are at the bottom rung of the ladder and the ones at the top and everything in between. God desires everyone's worship. And I think he was making a point. I will take shepherds to go and not only symbolically represent me as the shepherd of the people, but I want them to see that I want worship from every station in life. You know, Scripture says that God is no respecter of persons. Do you know that? God is no respecter of persons. He loves me and you as much as he loves Billy Graham or anyone else that you can think of who might be your great spiritual hero. He loves you and he wants your worship as much as he wants my worship. He wants a heart of worship. He wants a purity of worship as Mary had and as these shepherds has. Why do people think that it has to be the priest or the pastor who prays and carries more power and more weight than you? God wants your heart. He wants your worship. He wants you just as he wants us, and he wants to use you as he used the shepherds, and that's why he picked shepherds. He didn't say, Pastor, go to the manger, go and follow, and there the Christ child will be. He sent these guys who smelled like sheep. Workers. He desires a heart after him. Just as much as he desires mine, yours, or anyone else, any heart. I also believe that God loves obedience, however strange his instructions are. They were terrified when the angel of the Lord appeared to them, but were told not to be afraid and were given the good news of Jesus' birth. And their reply was, let's go to Bethlehem. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the child. Their fear, their original fear didn't stop their obedience. And God is looking for obedience. And he knew these men would, would obey. Now listen to me, dear ones. Listen, this, this fear will try to paralyze you and stop you from obeying God and keep you from the promise that God has for you. And if these men had gone with the fear, which was their initial reaction, they would have been stopped. It would have kept them from witnessing the birth of the Messiah. Have you ever been there? Have you ever missed out on what God has for you because of fear? Let's be honest. Come on, have we? Sure we have. Too afraid to take that step. Too afraid to do that thing. Too afraid 
to just say, okay, hold on. God said it. I believe it. I'm doing it. Have you ever been there, church? Come on. Have you been there? Raise your hand. Shake your head. Give me a response. Yes, we've all been there. Too afraid to take that step. Too afraid to do that thing. Too afraid to go to that place. Too afraid to go and confront or to speak a word or to do something. And you miss what God has for you. And then lastly, I believe we can learn from this shepherd that God chooses everyone who chooses his good news. If you remember on the film, he said, I've never been chosen for anything before in my life. God chooses everyone who chooses his good news, whosoever. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. Whosoever, say that's me, I am a whosoever. God chooses whoever will choose his good news. He'll say there's a candidate, there's a candidate, there's a candidate, there's a candidate. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Everyone. Can you imagine who was listening to these shepherds? Everyone who heard these shepherds said, hold on, aren't these guys just the, the field hands? Aren't they the ones out there just taking care of the sheep? I, I know the pasture. That's, that's old. And listen to what he's saying. And they were in awe of what they were saying because they were preaching and speaking the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first evangelists in the church of God were shepherds. Some sheep farmers, evangelists. They weren't priests. They weren't seminary students. They weren't preachers. They weren't professors. And they were evangelizing. And everyone was amazed some stinky, dirty sheep herders. Now here's our question. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to pose two questions to you. God chose them. They overcame the fear. They said, we're just going to obey him. Let's go check it out. Let's do it. And then they spread the news. Now, here's, here's your two questions for this Christmas, your first Christmas. Here's your two questions. Listen, listen dear ones, listen to me. What have I done with the gospel in the past? Second, What will I do with the gospel this Christmas? You see, it's no different. Oh, no, no, it's no different at all. There's millions of people that need this to be their first Christmas. Look at me, dear ones. God chose you and you and you to go and proclaim as these shepherds and say, let me tell you 
about my Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And he's looking for some people, even in the station of life they were in, to meet him at the cross and then to go and tell a dying, hungry world. You know, Friday I went to the 12 days of Christmas in Park San Susi. And I told someone there that night, we got to talking about the whole Christmas thing and the beautiful manger scene and everything else. And in that conversation, I told this person, you know, hold on, our, our job isn't to convict people. Our job isn't to, to make them do anything or even to convince them. I mean, if the Apostle Paul couldn't convince Agrippa, I don't have a chance. It's not for us to convince them. Our job is to tell them. Are you catching this? Not rocket science. Just go tell them. Be a light. Be a voice. This year I took my time, some of you may have seen it on Facebook, and I built not nearly as fancy as the one Brother Chris made at, at the park in downtown, but I built a, out of fence boards, a, a little manger, and we had had a, a manger scene that the church used last year, as a matter of fact, and we're waiting on our lights to put it up in the front of the church, so y'all pray they come in this week. And, but we took ours, and I put it in my front yard. And I went and got a bale of hay and I put some hay down and I put a little spotlight. <coughs> and it kind of looks kind of ragged, you know, like a manger. And we put it, our house is kind of L-shaped and I put it where we live in a corner. Anyone who comes in can see that spotlight on that manger. My neighbor right across the street, who's a believer, came up to me and he said, Marshall, he said, my goodness, you're going to, and he was joking, he said, you're going to do that? He said, you're going to put a manger scene up today? He said, do you know you may get in trouble? He said, you're going to come against, you know, what's politically correct and, 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 and everything else? I said, well, I, I sure am. And then Friday night, we went and opened up life-size manger scene. Y'all need to go see that one one night this week, downtown in Park St. Susie. <clears throat> Yesterday I go to the mailbox and there's two or three Christmas cards and there's a Christmas card there, church, from a man at 402 Beacon. And we live on the corner of Lahasky and Beacon. And I said, who is this? I don't know who this person is. And it was addressed to my neighbors at 201 Lahasky. So I opened it up. And when I opened it up, it said, just says this, big letters, thank you so much for putting up your manger scene in the neighborhood, your neighbor. That's the best Christmas present I got this year, I'm telling you, I'm keeping it forever, that card. Come on, come on, stand with me, stand with me.
Listen to me, church. Listen to me. It's real simple. This is the sixth character that we've gone over. Number six. The same applies for each character. Each one of them, if you've noticed, each one of them are just like us. Each one of them, from the shepherds, smell like sheep, all the way up to the wise men, they're just like us. And God is wanting to use us this Christmas. Because this is your first Christmas. And you need to share it with someone who doesn't know at all. In Jesus' name.